You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I am Jeff Harmon. I have been told I need to say my name more slowly so that people can figure out what it is. I'm the host for this episode, and I'm all alone today in this episode. I know it's not nearly as interesting when there's only one person talking, so I'll do what I can to make it so the content keeps flowing and it's exciting. We'll see We'll see if I could do that. Uh, before I get into the content, I do want to really quickly remind you all that we have a listener survey open that we'd love everyone to help us with. It's not one of those long ones. It's not going to take you 20 minutes to get through it. It is a single question survey where we want to know what post-processing software you primarily use to edit your photos. We've had several hundred people respond to the survey, so thank you if you've done that. If you haven't, I would love it if you would take the you know couple of minutes that it is to go over to the show notes, click on the link, and answer the one-question survey and tell us which post-processing software you use. Um, we'll share the results on the show and it's going to help inform us a little bit about kind of what we're doing with the show too. So we really helpful if you could do that. All right. Now in this episode, I want to answer a question that I've had a lot of ever since the getting started lighting gear 2019 episode that aired back in September of 2019. I'm really glad to see that there seemed to be a lot of listeners who took a little courage from that episode and decided to jump into adding flash to their photography. It's so exciting when I can see that photographers are doing that and that our podcasts are helping people and helping photographers to to get better and improve their photography. It's, It's really, really fun. I heard from a number of photographers who pulled the trigger and they bought some equipment that was mentioned in that episode. So that's awesome. When welcome to the club, welcome everybody that's that's gotten that. And then the inevitably, it seems like a question followed up. And so I took one of the questions. I've had lots of them, but I took one of them that was representative. This came from Tanya Hansen. And uh, Tanya said, just received three Godox TT600 speed lights and the Godox X-Pro trigger. I would love to just view a how-to video, but can't seem to find one. Anyone have any resources they'd be willing to share? So I'm going to answer this question. I, I already put this in the Facebook group that I was going to do a, a, a podcast episode on the topic. So hopefully it's soon enough, Tanya. I'm sorry if you've already kind of spent a lot of time looking into this and this episode's coming a little late. But I'm going to I'm going to answer the question with this episode. It's going to it might be fairly lengthy actually because I've got a lot of notes and and if you don't want to listen to all the audio and you want to kind of just cruise through the content, going over to the website, looking at the show notes, it's going to have pretty much everything that I'm covering here detailed out in in a lot of words there that, that can be faster to consume as another option to do it. But we sure appreciate everyone who does take the time to listen to the audio. Uh, all you listeners are, mean mean a lot to us. We're really glad for it. All right, so let's let's talk about this question. And to to start off my answer for this question, I, I am going to get into some pretty specifics. I mean, she's she took the advice that we provided 
back in the Getting Started Lighting Gear episode. We recommend Godox equipment for Flash, for hobbyists, or, or beginners, anyone who wants to start getting into it. There's tons of other products that are great, and, and they'll work. We used to recommend Young Nuo. Um, now recommend Godox over the Young Newell, but it's not to say the Young Newell can't work really, really well because it does. It still works extremely well. It's still a, a pretty good option. The Godox stuff in the starting levels is uh, just as inexpensive. Go, go listen to that episode. You'll, you'll kind of see what it is that we have or follow the link in the show notes so you can see all the recommendations on the flash equipment that can help you be uh, successful at getting started, getting the things you need for a very good price and being able to get in there. But I want us to kind of take a little step back. Not that it's an entirely different topic, but just a general trend that I've seen in our Facebook group. So we have the advantage of I get to to see the questions. We're exposed to a lot of things that photographers go through as they are working their path down mastering their photography. And so I, I get to to learn from that. And we we try I try really hard to tailor each of these episodes or fine-tune them and and make it so that I'm incorporating the things that we learn because we interact with so many photographers in uh, how it is that we can do a better job of communicating the tips and tricks and techniques and the, the things that we share. And it's not just based solely on an individual experience, which a lot of photographers do. Not that that's a bad thing, but I, I have an advantage. I have this podcast, a platform where I get to interact with and hear from a lot of photographers. And that informs me and helps me to provide better content that is uh, more applicable to more people and hopefully in a way that makes sense. So I'm, I'm going to try to do that here. We'll see what you think, how successful that is. Um, but one of the broad topics that has come out of that wide exposure to so many photographers has been kind of a, a lack of, of experimentation. I see a lot of photographers who aren't or are posting questions really quickly in the groups. And that's, it's no problem. It's not like this is the wrong way to do it. But I just really want to take some time here and encourage photographers to not be afraid to experiment. Especially in this day and age, you're here in 2019, almost 2020, we're getting to the end of 2019, it is so available for us. It doesn't cost us much, like next to nothing compared to what it was a while back, to experiment, to go and try things. And especially because with photography, it is an artistic medium. That means there's not really right and wrong ways to do things. Now, a lot of photographers will present things in that way. I've even done that. There's some things I have really strong opinions on and things that I really believe help um, or can hurt your photography if you do things in a certain way. That's all fine. Um, it, you know, it, Taking it in and deciding for yourself what you want to listen to, what you want to follow, um, how you can incorporate the information to achieve your own goals, your own artistic goals with your photography that's kind of the whole name of the game here and what, and what it is we at Master Photography really want to support. But some of that can be really good by experimentation, by, by going and trying stuff out. See what works for you. See what doesn't work for you. And, um, and setting aside or, or investing some time in yourself. That Stretching yourself is an important aspect of this. 
There are training videos, there are articles, there are podcasts that you can certainly listen to that can help and guide you. And I'm going to try to do that in this episode. I'm going to try to provide some guidance on how photographers who now have like brand new flash equipment can start trying to use it and get into this experimentation phase that I'm talking about here. But I really want to try to to emphasize adopting that attitude across everything. Um, flash power settings, they're not the same from brand to brand, model to model for a flash. So following like the exact settings of another photographer and what they use to create an image that you really like, even if you tried exactly the same thing, it's going to be really hard to reproduce exactly the same setup. Now, general things, of course, setup and, and guidance on it is, is really helpful to make it so that you're not just floundering and, and failing continuously and that you'll be able to see how through your experiments to get to your goal and what do you want to do and and when you run into trouble we're going to talk about this a little bit more and and like you you don't know what to do next then asking questions is great and that's there's forums for it our facebook group is one of those but it's it's if copying the exact settings doesn't really teach you much you don't learn all that much uh, kind of like as you are learning exposure with your camera, if, you, if you're out, if you go out with a whole bunch of photographers, you, hopefully you can learn from them. But if, if all you do is you're out with them and you ask what settings are you using and they just tell you the settings, just, you know, shutter, aperture, and ISO, and they just tell you the settings and that's it. Well, yes, you may be able to use those settings to, to create some good photos, but is are you really learning anything? Because the, the thing that makes you learn in those situations is the why. Okay, given the situation we're in and where we're at, why are you using those settings? Why did you decide to set the shutter at that speed or, or set the aperture at that setting? Why why is is a really important part of this? And if you're doing experimentation, you're the the way you're gonna get to the why. You're the you're the one that's gonna do that. And then yes, you're gonna fail, yes, you're gonna have have issues where it doesn't work. Um, and, and as you keep trying and experimenting and changing things, then you learn a lot of being able to do that. So it's going to be the same with flash. Why are you increasing or decreasing the power? Why are you moving the light? Why are you putting a modifier on the light? Why are you changing the modifier that's on the light? Understanding the mindset is really, really important so that you can understand and learn from by doing it how to apply that in the future. Um, if I can remember those things as I've learned them, and that's been a challenge too, as, I've, as I have learned techniques in my photography, remembering exactly what was said. Like if I was working with a, a mentor or an instructor or somebody that was teaching me how to do something, Remembering exactly what they said and why can be a challenge for sure. And so repetition, at least for me, it takes a lot of repetition before it gets ingrained in me and I can kind of remember what it is that's going on. Or really understanding the technical details is how I tend to learn. And, and I, I can assimilate that together. I put all that knowledge into practice when I really understand what's going on. And then I've truly learned it. And then it sticks with me for a long time. Some people can just kind of memorize things and and maybe the why and, and be able to get there. But everyone learns differently. And I think that experimentation, if you're not doing a lot of that, I'd really plead with you. <laughs> like, I think it would be really good 
if you can add that to what you're doing to continue down that road toward mastering photography. Experimentation. Um, I think a lot of the most successful instructors and the people who have had the most influence on me are those that do a lot of experimentation. So I, I really encourage you to, to try that and try out different genres, genres too. The stuff that you may not shoot regularly, as you go and experiment with those things, because you don't go into them knowing exactly what to do and how to shoot them, you learn more and more and more. And it, it makes the other things that you were already doing well better. So I, I think there's value in all of that. And experimentation, don't be afraid. Like it doesn't cost almost anything to take lots and lots of pictures. That's not to say that the, the spray and pray technique, the, the technique where you're going to, you know, just jam, mash down the shutter button and take a whole ton of photos and hope that one comes out is not, that's not learning either. You need to, to take a very structured approach to it or a more structured approach and, and truly like experiment and, and find out what it is. Um, all right. So, so I, I really encourage you to experiment. And as you get this flash gear, have that attitude as you're going to start out with using it. Like this is going to be an experiment and, and go into it. Like, I know I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to do stuff that is not going to work and that's okay. It's part of the learning process. And in the end, you're going to have a really valuable skill of really knowing how to utilize light to accomplish your creative goals. It's going to take some time to get there. You're, um, you're going to be able to have some training. You'll, you'll have like podcasts like this one to help you, but really, setting aside that you're going to experiment and allow yourself to fail uh, and fail a lot so that you can learn is a is the mindset I'm, I'm hoping you can adopt and take into it. Some photographer, now, now the next thing is patience, not pressure. So <laughs> maybe some photographers out there thrive on pressure and, and they learn faster and uh, they, the pressure helps them to perform. I think there's athletes that can show us that, that, that the, the most successful athletes are the ones where the pressure just makes them perform even better. That's not me. I don't know how many of you listeners out there are, but pressure is not a really great combination. I do feel like I, I am able to step up in some areas of, of my life and expertise, especially the kind of IT technical kind of stuff, because I've, I've spent so much time developing that skill set in my life that uh, I can respond to pressure there pretty well. Maybe that correlates to athletes and how they've responded and how much they've practiced and gotten ready. But with photography, that is absolutely not the case. And pressure today so far and where I am in my journey towards mastering photography means I it, it, it usually has a negative impact on me. And so I, I think understanding where you're at and how you respond to pressure is something to consider here. I don't recommend for someone that's getting started into this, especially if you know you are one who does not really respond really favorably with pressure being applied. I wouldn't get your new lighting kit and then, you know, on on the have the client shoot that maybe you've had scheduled where you've normally done natural lighting for those that shoot. Grab your flash gear that just came from you know, arrived on the doorstep today and go out that afternoon with the client that uh, that you've had scheduled for the past couple of weeks and try to to incorporate that into your your session. Uh, that, that adds a lot of pressure. <laughs> At least for me, 
that would spell disaster. And I'd really get frustrated. And uh, those those moments, like I talked about just a, a second ago with experimenting and failing, that that means you you can't do that in front of that client or you can't waste the client's time as you're doing that. And that adds more pressure. And uh, I wouldn't do that. I think, and my guidance on this would be, set aside some time away from clients, <laughs> away from page shoots, to investigate this. Um, again, going in with the mindset of you're going to experiment, you're going to fail, maybe following guidance from either this podcast or YouTube videos or whatever is going to help you guide your experimentation so that you don't, you know, just flop around, fail continuously and, and make no progress. But going in that you are going to spend some time, you're going to fail, that's okay, and no pressure. There, there doesn't need to be any pressure there is is how I would try to set it up. Now, if you're doing lighting here, most likely it's because you want to do portraits. And that's that's great. Now that means you need a model of some kind to be in your portraits. Uh, a family member might be a really good way to do that. And instead of the, that paid client that I was talking about where you might have more pressure added, asking a family member like, hey, I, I really need to learn how to use these lights. I think you would, would you mind like coming over for a couple of hours and being just in the photos and, and see what it is. Or maybe there's a client that you have a really good relationship with and they've loved your photos and the work you've done in the past and you can, uh, you know, you know that you can trust them with being part of this experimentation phase and, and say, you know what, if, if any of the photos work out, you can have them for free. Uh, I just need somebody that's going to work with me for a couple of hours and, you know, <laughs> I may not come out with a single photo from the session that's usable are you interested in helping me with that? And and that you could you could go into it that way, or you can use yourself. <laughs> Obviously, that's an option. It's harder, but I've done it a lot. Uh, my family is extremely tired of being part of my experiments. <laughs> I've I've over experimented my family. They don't like it at all. As soon as I say, "Hey, does anyone want to help me?" It's like no. <laughs> Immediately, they they're not interested, and so. I've had to use myself. I've had to put myself in the in the situations a lot. And you can do it, of course. The the lights can be on light stands, the camera can be on a tripod, you can use like a the 10 second timer drive mode and go back and forth between being the model and the photographer and, and switch it out. It takes more time, for sure it takes more time. Um, but there's no pressure there. You're not worried that the model is now gonna get totally bored with you trying stuff because you are the model. So it's definitely an option probably better if you can get someone that's willing to help with you, uh, help participate, but it can work making yourself the model. I just really think you need to try to, uh, to put yourself in a situation where you can be patient and not feel pressure. And, uh, and that's probably not like a shoot with a client if you don't know what you're doing yet, or you don't feel comfortable with it. Okay. And the next bit of guidance that I'm going to provide, uh, good experiments, need to have controlled variables. So this goes back to like elementary school. And the science teacher, um, if you had a good one, you may remember this kind of fondly and think like, yeah, that was fun. I really enjoyed how it did. If you had a bad one, it may be a bad experience. You're like, oh, I hated that. Or maybe it's just the subject matter and it's not your thing. Whatever it is, it still means that as you are experimenting with this lighting equipment, that you you really need to do all you can to only change one thing at a time. Those are the variables, the things you change are the variables. And for an experiment to be successful, you really need to change, make sure you only change one thing at a time so that you can directly draw a conclusion between the change you made and the effect it had. 
I guarantee that as you're going through this, you're going to be so tempted. I, I do this constantly, and I have to constantly remind myself to only change one thing at a time. You're going to be so tempted, take a shot, and then think, okay, I think I want to move the light closer. I want to move, I want to lower the power. I want to add this modifier. All these things at once, this whole combination of stuff. And I'm, I'm going to encourage you here to resist that urge. Try really hard to only change one thing at a time so that you can really see what the changes are. Now, if you just change the power level from one level to the next level up, the change in the light may not be very different. You may look between two photos and be like, yeah, okay, that doesn't really look very different. But I still recommend you just at the beginning at least go through that formality. Go through that thing where you can see that it's not very different. It's a valuable thing to learn. Now, as you face a situation where you have the flash at one power level and you need more, if you've already gone through it and you saw that changing it by a third of a stop or changing it one stop wasn't really that impactful and you really had to go two before you saw a meaningful difference, that's good to know, right? It's, it's helpful information. Then as you're under the pressure, as you're with the client, as you're trying to, to get the light to be the way you want it, you know, you have education on how exactly your your specific lighting equipment works, and you're going to be able to make those decisions faster. But don't do it when you're experimenting. While you're doing the experimenting, try one thing at a time. Only change one thing at a time. If you want to move the light closer, only move the light closer. Don't change the power level two at the same time. You may do that next, but only do one thing at a time so that you can really see what the effect is on the light. Very deliberate, very singular changes to everything as you're experimenting and learning how to do it. All right, next thing. Um, I really recommend you start with the controller and one light. And I'm gonna get into some details here as I go through this section. Um, specific to Tanya because she has the Godox equipment. So some of this stuff is gonna be really detailed about the Godox gear. But stick with me if you don't have the Godox equipment because the principles of what I'm talking about will still apply to any lighting setup. All of it will apply. It's just the specific buttons and things that I'm telling you to look for is going to be specific to the Godox gear. I just I tried to see if I could really try to get this across and answer the question without doing it. I think the, the two episodes are going to go better together with the equipment that I'm recommending. And now this will be a guide on how to use that specific equipment. But it, it still is going to apply in general. So, all right. With that said, Tanya t said in her question that she has three Godox TT600 lights and a Godox X-Pro controller. Uh, we've already talked about how you need to experiment with this new equipment to learn how to use it. But I want to try to guide that experimentation now just a little bit. I want to go through some of the, the common things that I find most photographers don't really get at the beginning. And when they finally understand them, it really makes things make sense. And now their experimentation can really take off and go in good directions. But there's the, there's a struggle at the beginning a little bit with even how the controller talks to the flash. And, and what does that mean? How does it work? And they you, you can waste a lot of time trying to figure this out and really fail in your experimentation if you don't understand it. So I'm gonna give you some guidance on what you can do and, and try to explain a little bit about how this works 
so that you have a foundation to use. And as you go to do this first session of experimentation, set aside like an afternoon or a morning or a couple hours somewhere to be able to go in and experiment, that you're going to go into it with a little bit of knowledge of how to get started so that you can get to the point where you are trying the lights at different positions and different power levels and with different modifiers and, and get to that level of experimentation pretty quickly. All right, so here, here's how I, I'm going to recommend you start that. The first thing is with the controller itself. All right, let's start off that simple. You got to turn on the controller. And remember, we don't want to do too many things at once. So I'm, I'm going to be going through things in such detail where we're only changing one thing at a time. That's, that's what I'm encouraging you to do. So even though Tanya has three flashes, I'm going to recommend you start out with the controller and just one of those three flashes. Don't even get the other two flashes out yet. Um, you may have to look at a manual to figure things out of what you're going to do, but I'm going to provide some details with Godox X-Pro. Um, if you look at the X-Pro controller, there are two switches on the right-hand side of the controller. And it can be confusing when you first look at them because there are two there, and the symbol between the two is so close, it's hard to know which one is actually turning on the device and what is the other one even for? <laughs> so if you look at them, if you're looking at the controller, um, the, the switch on the right-hand side that's closest to you is the on-off switch for the device. It looks like a pretty standard power symbol. It's the circle with the like the little line at the top that kind of goes, you know, partway through the circle. It's a pretty standard like power symbol now in most consumer electronics these days. So it, it, it hopefully makes sense and it's not very hard to just, you know, try both switches and see. The other switch, the one that's further away from you on the right hand side, it looks more like a, a circle with like light rays coming out, like maybe a child would draw of a, of a sun on a on a picture. And what this one is, it's it's the a lamp for focus assist. We're not even going to worry about that. So for right now, as you're heading into this experimentation, don't even worry about that other switch. But you turn it on with that first switch on the right-hand side, flick it on, and then the LCD should light up and, and the controller is on. Um, you may be tempted to like stick the controller right on the camera right now. But I'm going to say my guidance here would be don't do that yet. Um, so <clears throat> some controllers... They, they can behave differently when they're on the camera, depending on the camera's settings, what settings you have on the camera. So, and this Godox controller is actually one of those. The settings work, the functionality works a little, it's not a ton of difference, but it works a little differently. And we're not even going to go into exactly why uh, <clears throat> in this episode, because this is just the starting, the basics. All right, so... So you turn it on, don't put it on the camera yet, just keep it off the camera for a minute while you're testing this out and while you're figuring out how this controller interoperates with the flash. Okay, so now the next thing we need to do is turn on the flash and I'm gonna say you, you wanna do some test firing of the flash. Again, off the, the controller's not on the camera. This is just the controller and the flash, you know, have the controller in one hand and the flash in the other. This, this is how I want you to try to test this out and see how it works. I'm going to talk specific about the Godox TT600 here again, but if you have a different flash, just figure it out in the manual kind of how this works and the buttons that you can use. I'm going to go through a lot of details about the buttons on these specific controller and flash, but but you can you should go and find out the same information for your specific flash and controller. Um 
this is a really this is something that that photographers tend to get very confused about and why it is I thought it was important to kind of go through this level of detail here um, for for all of this you you turn on these these things the the controller you turn on the flash and there's all of these buttons there's all of these like uh, numbers and and letters all over this the LCD screens and symbols on the LCD screens and and it's it can be overwhelming. I see a lot of photographers get over and and as I'm helping other photographers with equipment I'm not familiar with, which is a lot of them. Um, it, it's also confusing and frustrating <laughs> to me as I look at them because I know how to do it on the Godox equipment. I know how to do it on the Young Noah equipment because those are the, that's equipment I've had and I've really experimented with. I've gone through the process I'm talking about here. When I'm faced with equipment I've never seen before, they have different symbols. They have different terms. They have different things that are there. And it's really hard to, uh, you know, and it makes me look like I don't know what I'm doing to take someone's equipment that I don't know and try to figure out the same kind of general information that I'm talking about here. So I, I get that this is going to be hard to follow if you don't have the same equipment, but hopefully the ideas, uh, the concepts of what I'm talking about are going to be good enough to, to make it happen. Okay, your objective while you're starting with these two things, by the way, turning on the flash uh, usually is really simple. There's no, there's usually no confusion on how to turn it on. If there is, you just got to look it up in the user's manual. On the on the TT600, there's just a single on-off switch. It's a big button right on the front of the thing, so it's trivial to figure out how to turn it on. So, but once, so once you've turned it on, what what your objective is is you want to make that flash fire by doing something with the controller. That's the whole objective here. And we're going to do it a few times because there's some other functionality that you really have to understand so that you can get the full power out of this controller and off-camera flash. So um, the easiest way is, and, and by default, as you take these out of the box, it's probably going to work to just turn both on and then on the controller, the X-Pro controller, in the lower left-hand side, there's a little button that has right next to it, like that little lightning bolt symbol that is on like everything that's flash-related. Yeah, usually on the cameras too, there's a little button that has like the flash thing so that the pop-up flash will come on if, uh, if you have a pop-up flash on your camera. But same, same symbol, it's that little lightning bolt kind of looking thing. And it's the, the, lowest, the lower left button on the, on the X-Pro controller. If you press that button with the controller and the flash on, the flash should fire, provided some of the settings are right. And we're going to go into the settings next. If it doesn't fire, if it did, that's good, but you still need to understand kind of the some of the numbers and, and letters that are on the flash that I'm going to go through and the controller so that you can make sure that, that these things are talking correctly. Um, if it doesn't flash, that might even be better. I know it's weird, weird to say, but because you're going to be forced into figuring out what's wrong, what means that when you push that test button, that little lightning bolt button on the T on the X pro controller, why didn't the flash fire? All right. So I'm going to go through a bunch of reasons why this might be and, and what it is that you might have to do to make us a little fire. But first we need to take a really quick break here and thank the sponsor for this episode. 
Hey there guys, it's your buddy Connor. I know it has been quite a while since I've been on the show, but that's because I have been ridiculously, ridiculously busy as of recent. And one thing that I've been using to kind of help me out in my scheduling my day-to-day life is a system that I want to tell you guys about. So meet the scheduling assistant that works 24-7 behind the scenes to fill your calendar. From the moment clients book with you, Acuity is there to automatically send confirmations, deliver text reminders, and process payments. So you never have to ask your clients what time works for you again because with acuity clients can quickly view in real time your availability self-book their own appointments and reschedule with a click then acuity will automatically update the calendars that you have whether that be google outlook icloud or office 365 to keep your entire life in sync so all you need to do is show up at your studio or location at the right time so acuity even asks the clients to fill out an intake form, which is customizable for you to put in the information that you need to be able to best serve them. And they do do that all automatically. With the ability to manage multiple locations and employees, class bookings, private sessions, add-on sales, and recurring subscriptions, Acuity can adapt to any business. So you can save yourself from the day-to-day drudgery of keeping up with clients in your busy schedule with Acuity Scheduling. For a limited time, you can get 45 days of Acuity Scheduling absolutely free, no credit card required. Just go to acuityscheduling.com slash MPP. That's A-C-U-I-T-Y scheduling.com slash MPP for 45 days free. Let me tell you guys, I really do use this in my day-to-day life, and it has saved me so much time. It's a service that I highly recommend to anybody that is looking to automate their system and just send clients to you whenever they land on your website. It's a fantastic piece, and there's a reason that I'm the one that's here doing this advertisement because I have real hands-on experience, and it really is something that I stand by. So one more time, I'm going to say that's acuityscheduling.com MPP for a 45-day free trial. Okay. Let's talk about flash channels first. It's a really super important concept to understand flat the channels that the controller and flash operate on. And this would be the very first thing I would check if the flash didn't fire when you pushed that test button on the X-Pro controller. Uh, besides making sure the flash is powered on. That would be, I guess, the very first thing is make sure the flash is powered on. I'm assuming you can handle that part of it. Okay, so so the channel. The channel is the next thing. Channel is, it is how it is that the flash, the controller triggers the flash to pop. There's a signal that that controller is going to send out. It's a, a radio signal uh, on most transmitters it is most controllers it's a it's all done via it's it's done via radio there's other ways but we'll assume for the most part you're dealing with a radio controlled uh, a, a controller that uses radio anyway you the the channel makes sure that they are talking on the same radio wave <laughs> the same the same way to do it and, and we'll get into another reason why their channels are important sure it could be that uh like since this is something that can be changed, why have it? Why add this variability? Why make it so that you uh, you can actually have the the flash and the controller on a different channel and not talk to each other? With that, if we could have them always be on the same channel and you couldn't change it, wouldn't that make more sense? And there might be some flashes and controllers that work that way. I don't know, but um, there's a good reason for it. We'll go go into it kind of at the end of the discussion about channels here. Um, 
But what you need to understand is, is really kind of how to check it, what channels are on and how to change it. Because you're, you are going to have, you're going to want to be able to do both. So to check it, um, the first thing to do is check on the controller. What channel is it set to? And on the X Pro, it is in the upper left-hand corner of the LCD screen. That's where you check what channel it's on. By default, I believe it comes set to channel one. And there are total choices of 32 different channels that they, it can be set to. So that's how you check on the controller what channel it's on. On the flash, it is in the lower, like the middle center. And you can hear my flash turn on as I just did that. You might have caught that. Uh, the lower middle kind of part of the LCD display. When it's on, it has CH and then the number. And it's, I, it also defaults to one. If they, they have to be on the same channel in order for that controller to pop the flash, to tell the, the flash to pop when you push that test button. If they're not on the same channel, that's just not gonna work. I also wanna point out here that just because um, a lot of flash equipment, a lot of controllers and flashes support channels. A lot of them have that. In fact, I don't know of one that doesn't. But just But mixing brands is not guaranteed to work. Channel one on a Godox controller is not always and gonna be the same as channel one on another brand flash. So some flashes kind of interoperate, but most do not. And so mixing gear is not something you're gonna wanna do. You don't want to mix like your controller have be one brand and your flash be another brand. That's that's not great. Now there are ways to make that work when I go th through it here because that's not what this this episode's about. But uh, I just wanted to point that out. Even though they have a similar term here with channels, I think most every controller and flash have the concept of channel. They are there's not standards that say well channel one means it has to work this way. And then all of them follow that. Might be helpful if it did, but uh, they don't today. So there, there could happen to be, or maybe even there might be by design some controllers that have like uh, reverse engineered how how the how a flash operates, and they may uh, some vendor may produce a controller that works with another brand of flash uh, that may happen to work out that way because they did it on purpose. But in general, your expectation should be uh, the, for this to work, for the off-camera flash to work, for the controller to be able to work with the flash. It needs to be the same brand, and it needs to be the same line within the brand. Godox actually has a, uh, a different line of flashes and flash equipment that they don't actively support anymore. It's not produced anymore. And they're not compatible with the, it's called the X-Line. The X-Pro is, is part of that X-Line and the TT-600 is in that X-Line. So uh, even among the same brand, models may not interoperate, interoperate with each other. And so making sure that you're in the right line, has all the line, the line is the same, is, is kind of important. And that it's all taken care of. If you go with the gear that, that we've recommended, that is stuff that's all going to interoperate and, and work really well together. And part of the reason that I like the Godox line, because there's so many options in this X line of, of uh, equipment from Godox for you to expand and grow and add lights. It's really, really good. Okay, so that's channel. Has to be exactly the same between the two. If they're not, 
if the channel is one on the controller and the channel is two on the flash, now you kind of need to know how to change it, how to make it so that they match. And then we'll talk about another reason you might have to change it. So um, here's, here's how you do it. On the X Pro controller, there isn't a button that's labeled channel anywhere. And that can be really confusing at first. But what there is, is there's there's four buttons underneath the LCD. They're kind of four flatter kinds of buttons with a, a white line that goes all the way across them. And it should be obvious if you're looking at the controller which buttons I'm talking about. They're just below the LCD screen. And then just above those buttons are labels on the LCD screen. And those labels tell you what the button's going to do. So software defined buttons here is what what this would be and that the leftmost button underneath the just underneath the lcd screen that flat one you'll notice the label above it on the lcd screen says zm slash ch so that stands for zoom and we're not going to talk about zoom in this episode and ch the slash means you have to hold down the button to get to that function so if you push just zoom, it's going to change the display to show the zoom setting of the controller. Ignore that. That's not what we want right now. If you push the zoom button once, just hit it again, and now it'll switch back. So you can see the numbers for the power settings there on the screen. Now if you press and hold the, the, the button, that leftmost button just under the LCD screen, now you'll notice that the number next to the CH at the bop, the top of the LCD screen gets highlighted. It, uh, the, the number, the text around the number turns black and the number turns white. All right, so that means you're now able to change the channel and you just use the dial, you just rotate the dial that is around the set button until you get to the, the setting that you want and then you push the set button to set it and lock it in. So that's, that's how you change the channel on the controller. On the flash, slightly different. Not terribly different, but it's it is a little different. On the TT600, you're going to there's a button on the lower left of the flash that is labeled GR/CH or GR over the top of CH. It's going to be obvious if you're looking at the flash of what that is. Again, that means so the GR is for group and we're going to do that in just a second. But to get to CH, that means you have to press and hold that GRCH button until the, C, the, the channel number starts flashing. I wish that the indicators between these two were the same, like the flash number or the channel number would start flashing on the controller too, but they, they do respond just a little bit differently. So the number starts flashing. And again, that the location of that is just kind of in the middle bottom of the LCD screen. So the CH1 probably was what it was set to. That's the default. When you press and hold that GRCH button on the lower left of the device, then it starts flashing. And now you can, same thing, you can use the dial that's around the set button and you can move that dial to change the channel. And when you're ready, you push set. So that's important to see how do you change it so that you can make sure they're the same. They probably came the same set to channel one by default. It probably fired right out of the gate, but just so you learn what those things are and why that's important. All right, now another couple of points on the channel. Um, I already mentioned there's no standard with these things, so they're not really interoperable with other brands or they most likely won't be. There's a chance that they can be. 
Uh, I have seen some brands where it just happens to overlap. And I don't think it was designed that way. They just, as they, the flashes and the, the wireless uh, stuff was built, they happened to kind of do it the same way. And it doesn't mean there's full uh, capabilities here, especially like as we talk about group in just a second, that stuff is even less likely to work when you have flashes. But the channel, there's a chance that across brands that'll work. But in general, it doesn't. The other thing to know about channel here, um, it, it can be super, super frustrating. And uh, and that is, <laughs> I've had this happen a lot. If you are in an area where there's a bunch of photographers using equipment, uh, it got this way with the Young Nua brand uh, because a lot of photographers had discovered that you could do flash really inexpensively with Young Nua gear. And now with Godox, I'm seeing more and more of it too. But if you get if you go to a an outdoor location where you're shooting, and you you have a whole bunch of people who are using flash equipment, the likelihood that someone else is going to be there with the same brand, whether it's the Godox stuff I'm telling you uh, recommending now, or the Young Nua gear we used to recommend there's a good chance that other photographers are going to be there. And if you leave it on channel one, you're all going to be overlapping each other. And I, I've had it happen a lot where like my flash will just pop and I swear I didn't hit the button. <laughs> I swear I didn't make it go. And it's because I didn't. It, there's another photographer that's close enough to me that's using their equipment and they happen to be on the same channel as I am. And now my flash is going to pop because the channel matches between the controller and the flash. So that means I need to change the channel to my my channel. I need to change all my devices to be on the same channel, but I need to go to a different channel. This is why it's another good reason to learn how to change your channel and why it's good that Godox offers 32 different options there. You have 32 channels to choose from so that you can uh, you can find one that nobody else in the area is using. You might have to do it a couple times depending on how many photographers are there, but... Um, but that that's the case. It, it can be helpful, like when it overlaps, because uh, like at, at the Create Photography Retreat, when we go there and, and we have like uh, some flashes set up, um, we can just pass controllers around and, and have that work. But you can also like if you had your own controller, you don't need to incorporate your own flashes. You could just put the, make sure you're on the same channel as the con- the flashes that are set up, and you can fire them and use your own controller. And uh, it's it's nice to be able to do that when you want it to overlap, when you want a group of photographers to all be able to trigger the same flashes. It's nice to, to have that, that you can all use different controllers, the same brand of controller, but different controllers. You can all have a controller on your camera. And as long as it's set to the same channel, all the flashes that are going will, will go off no matter which of the controllers triggered it. So hopefully that gives you kind of some overview about how channel works. This is super critical. Again, I'm just going to say that again. Really, really important that you make sure you understand channel is is has to be the same. Controller to flash has to be the same. And next to making sure the flash is on and the controller's on, that would be the next thing to check. Is the channel the same between the controller and the flash um, to troubleshoot why the flash is not popping when you take a picture? or when you push the test button on the controller. Okay, next thing to check. And this this does not have anything to do with firing the flash. But you're going to lose a lot of capabilities if this isn't set right to. And that's group. We t- I talked about group on the flash. The button had group there just a second ago. Group, again, has nothing to do with the flash 
popping. It only has to do with when the controller can change settings on the flash, which might be a little difficult to understand. So let me try to get into some detail here. Uh, group tends to go by letters instead of numbers. So group A, B, C, etc. You set the group on the flash. The flash only, you, you need to set it to one of those groups. It, can, it should only be a member of one of those groups um, at a time. And then the controller, you can rotate through those groups or change between different groups so that you can control the settings of the flash independent from other flashes. You might have, for example, a flash that is, uh, is on the right-hand side of you shooting the camera, um, and you put that into group A. And then you might have an, a second flash that's on the left-hand side of you as you're shooting, and you put that in group B, and then you'll know, okay, if I want to increase the power of my light on the right-hand side of me, that was in group A, I'm going to, on the controller, select group A, and then change the settings. I can go to the power setting and increase it, and now just the flashes, or flash, in group A, where I set A as the group on the flash, will get their settings updated. The controller sends the signal to those flashes that are in that group and asks them to change their power settings and then and they do that. Uh, if the flash on the left was set to group B, it won't change the power settings on B because I changed it on A. So it's a really powerful way to do this because often you don't want lights at the same power settings. You very frequently don't want that. You may not want them at the same zoom settings either. We're not going to go into that in this episode. But group is really, really powerful. It's really helpful to do it. Every flash that you want to have the power settings change together, you put in the same group. And then... and then you have the ability to control that. How do you do it? Like, what are the physical buttons we use now? All right, so first thing would be you need to get your flash set into the group you want it to be. As you're setting up that first light, that's, this is usually how I do it. The first light is A. The first light I set up is A so, because I can remember which one was my first light I set up, and I'm going to set it to A. Um, which means I'd have to turn the, the flash on, and if if the group setting was set to like D because of the, it was the last time I used it in a shoot, I'm going to change it to A right then. I don't. I'm not going to worry about finding the flash that was A unless there's only like two of them or three of them. Then then it's pretty easy. You can find A, turn them all on, find A, and go put it up first. But um, it's pretty easy to change the group anyway. On the TT600, the way you change it is you just single press that that GRCH button. Um, remember we talked about to get to CH, you have to long press the button. So now you're just single pressing or like short pressing that button. And it cycles between group A, group B, group C, group D, group E. You only have five grouping options with the Godox X-Pro controller and therefore the flash only offers the five options there. Again, this is not standardized, so groups in you know, the Godox equipment doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as groups in other equipment. Other equipment may offer more than five groups. They may offer fewer than five groups. And this, again, tends to be the thing that does not, that it has even less a chance to interoperate between the, the different brands, the groups, and how you can adjust power settings, zoom level, um, remotely through the, the controller 
is even less likely to work. If the channel works, that's that's possible and and uh, and great. But even if the channel works and the flash fires, it's not. It's it's likely that the group won't work, even though the channel did. Hopefully that that makes sense. All right. So you set the group on the flash that way. Just single press of the group button cycles through them, and you're, you set the group. Now on the controller, you're not setting a group because you need the ability from the controller to like select which group you want to talk to right now and change their settings. So the buttons on the left-hand side, just left of the LCD screen on the X-Pro controller are the ones that uh, select what group you're working with. So if you single press the topmost button on the left-hand side of that LCD screen, it selects group A. And now when you rotate the dial around the set button with group A selected, then you should be able to see the the power settings of the flash that is in group A change as you're doing that. If you selected the, uh, let's say just the bottom most button on the left-hand side, that's going to be group E. And now same thing, as you rotate the dial to change the power settings, only flashes that have been set in group E should change. Um, The only time this shouldn't work is if you have the controller and the flash on a different channel. Then the group the channel has to be there first. That's how the, the controller and the flash are communicating. And then the group makes it so that you can distinguish between or set aside which flashes are going to respond to the settings that you're changing. So I, I hope that makes sense. I hope you, that that kind of gives you an idea of how to do it um, so that you can take advantage of this. This is one of the most important features of off-camera flash to me and the, the biggest reason to want the uh, the controller, make the investment in that. There's other ways that you can trigger the flashes to fire. You can you can even do like slave mode where if your camera has a flash, a little pop-up flash in it, you could have the camera set off that flash and then all of the other flashes in the room will see that flash because it's a sudden change in lighting. It'll recognize that sudden change and they'll they'll pop at the same time. It doesn't seem like that should work, but it does. <laughs> it all happens so fast that it totally works and they all pop and they can go. But what you won't be able to do from there is go around is is like change the power settings or the zoom level uh with without having to go over to each light and do that. It's totally, you know, that works. You can totally, you can walk around and change them, manually change them. And if it's a pretty small space and so on, it's really not that big a deal. But man, I change the power settings a lot as I'm dialing in the light for my equipment. As I'm dialing in like where I want it, what I want it to do, I change that power setting all the time. And to be able to do that from the controller sitting in the hot shoe on your camera is really, really helpful. I really love it. And uh, this is something that, this is why I want you to figure out how to use this first before you start doing anything else. Know how it is channels and groups work on your flash and your controller because you're gonna use it a ton and be able to see that. Um, All right, so I, I just wanna walk through a quick example. Um, something that, that an experiment. Let's 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 say it that way. Let's an experiment Tanya could do with the three flashes. Um, and I know I said only use one flash, but and maybe this is an experiment you do later, or 
just break it out temporarily right here. But just to make sure you understand how the channel and group work, you could get out all three flashes, turn them all on, put them all on channel one, or actually just to make sure you know how to change it, set them all to channel two. Make it so that all of them are set to channel two. And then um, set one flash or leave one flash at group A. I'll, they probably all defaulted to group A. So leave one of the flashes at group A. Then change the, the group setting on one flash to B and change the group setting on one flash to C. And remember, you can see this uh, uh, in, in the uh, TT600. You can see this kind of in the top middle part of the LCD screen. There's GR. Oh, I don't know if I even said that yet. There, that's how you check it. <laughs> There's a GR uh, kind of label there, the top middle area. And then there's the letter A, the letter B, only one letter will be there at a time. So on one of the flashes, make sure it has GRA at the top middle of the LCD screen there. On another one, hit the, the GRCH button just one time if it was on A, and it'll change to B. And you should see GRB in the top middle. And then take the third flash, hit that GRCH button two times to go from B from A to B to C, and you should see GRC at the top. Okay, now uh, experiment with the, the controller. You should be able to press, even after you've changed the group setting, as long as they're both set to channel two, you should be able to push that test button and have all three flashes pop and have all of them fire at once. And if you didn't, then now you need to check and make sure that they're all on channel two. Um, now, now go and change the power setting. So go click on the, you know, push that topmost button just left of the LCD screen on the controller to select group A and change the settings there. It's going to have like a, a one over number on there. It doesn't matter what you do it to, but just like take the flash in your hand so you can watch as you're doing it. And, uh, and watch the power settings as you are, after you've pressed that topmost left button on the controller, watch as you change the dial and watch the power setting change only on the flash that was set to A. Then hit the, the next button down so that it'll be B on the controller, change the dial and see that only the power settings that are on the flash that was set with group B is changing the power settings. And then same with C, you can watch that only the one that was selected group C on the flash is being changed when you push the third button down on the left-hand side of the LCD screen and then rotate that the dial around the, the set button. And now you should be able to see how that works. And you should be able to just do a quick test too, like change the channel on your controller and now you should see that none of that works. The flashes don't pop anymore. The power settings don't change anymore because they're not on the same channel. And, and see the negative side of it too when it doesn't work so that you can, you can really understand what it is. All right. So I really thought that was super important and something I wish would have been better explained to me as I was getting into flash photography. I had to figure out how all of this works and, and uh, hopefully that provides some guidance and reduces the learning curve at least a little bit. All right, two more gotchas that I wanna talk about with flash communication here. Um, the first one is something that uh, both actually, that the reason I call them gotchas is they, they can be super frustrating and make you think you've got an issue 
with the controller talking to the flash when you don't. It's just there's two things that can kind of happen that can also disrupt that communication. The first one is something called sleep mode. Most flashes support this. They're, they run on batteries. To save battery, they go to sleep after a certain amount of inactivity. When you don't pop the flash or change the settings, changing the settings will also kind of reset the time. But if you leave it totally idle and don't do anything with it for a period of time, it goes into sleep mode. <coughs> it goes into sleep mode. And... It goes into sleep mode. And with the Godox TT600, the default is 10 minutes. If you don't pop the flash or change settings for 10 minutes, it's going to go to sleep. Unfortunately, the only way to wake it up is to go over to the flash and manually push a button. It doesn't matter which one really. I, I usually hit set. But you have to do something with the flash to wake it up out of sleep mode. It makes sense. I mean, you're trying to save battery, so it's it's going to turn off its radio receivers to save that battery. And so it makes sense that you have to physically go over to the device to get it to turn back on. I dislike this intensely. <laughs> I, I don't like having it set to sleep because, uh, you know, I, I frequently, very frequently have times where uh, it will go to sleep. You know, a client uh, wardrobe change or a, a prop change. Taking 10 minutes to do something in a shoot, yeah, that can happen a lot. That can happen, you know, even just like, you know, talking or taking a small break or whatever it is. 10-minute break and they turn off. Now you have to go to every flash and push a button on them. I hate it. So I personally have decided I turn it off. Uh, with Godox, uh, the TT600, you can choose between lots of options. I think there's 3, 10, 30, 60, and off, something like that. And so I turn it off. I don't have my flashes go to sleep. Yeah, it means my batteries wear down more because they're on all the time. But they last long enough for my shoots, and it's not bit me to have it be a massive problem. And so I've chosen to do that. You're going to have to decide for yourself what you want to do there. But I really hate sleep mode because I don't want to have to go around, walk around to each one of the controllers and and turn it back on if it's been more than you know 10 minutes or 3 minutes. Gosh, that would happen constantly. <laughs> Um, okay, so that's that's another thing that you kind of have to check. And on the TT600, just so you know, if, if it's gone to sleep, the um, there's a, a little like it, it puts little Z's on the screen. So the screen goes dimmer and it has Z, Z, Z. And uh, so that's what it looks like when it's asleep. That's how you can tell. And it's not firing. It's not, it's not doing anything when you push the buttons. Um, the second thing that can be disruptive and make it so that it feels like it's not working right and be really frustrating because you think everything's okay is cycling, flash cycling. We talk a lot about flash recycling on the episode, on the podcast. We, we talk about this term all the time. I don't want to go through the technical details here, so I'm going to oversimplify it. And I'm just going to say... Uh, something you all understand already, and that is that like the flash needs some time after it pops to charge up, and it's got to be to be ready to pop again. Um, it it depends on the power settings about how long that is, and uh, it's an advantage if you can get things set up so that you don't have to use full power for this reason. It it will use less energy from those batteries every flash you pop but it also gets ready much faster. 
With the Godox TT600, the recycle times are advertised at 0.1 to 2.6 seconds. And what that means is with fresh batteries, both numbers are with fresh batteries, with brand new fresh batteries, you at 1 128th power, which is the lowest power setting, um, you can it'll recycle in 0.1 seconds. So super fast to be able to be ready to pop again. At full batteries and full power, one over one on the power, it's going to take 2.6 seconds to be fully ready to pop again. So much slower, much longer time. And those times are going to get worse as the batteries get weaker, as, they, as they're draining. So when you have a flash set at full power that's draining the batteries much faster, that 2.6 seconds is going to start drawing into three and four and five seconds, and it, it's going to get really slow to recharge. At some point, it just doesn't, obviously, but um, it gets charged. So that this is why a lot of flashes have, uh, and by default, I believe it's turned on, they have kind of a, a noise they make when they're ready to go. You've all heard this. You've you've been around flashes a lot. You've heard it when they, they make kind of a whine or a beep or an alarm of some kind when they're ready to go. And uh, and so by default, that's on. A lot of photographers like to turn that off because they do make noise. I really like keeping them on <laughs> because I want to... It helps me in a couple ways. It helps me make sure I know that they're ready to go and I, I'm safe to be able to press that shutter button and take the next photo. Uh, it also helps me to kind of monitor how live the batteries are because if it's starting to take a lot longer for me to hear that beep... I know, okay, I got to take a break right now and I, got, I need to go change the batteries in that flash. It's no longer getting the, the power that it needs to do a good job with it. If you push the button to take the picture before the recycle time, before it's fully charged up and ready to go, it may fire. Sometimes it won't kind of depend. There's a lot of variables there, but it might fire. But if it does, it is not going to fire at the power that you have set it to. So if you have your your power setting one over one, you're trying to get full power flash and that's what you need for your lighting and you push that button too soon and didn't before it recycled, you're going to get whatever power it was capable of putting out, but it won't be one over one. It won't be full power. And uh, so it's really helpful and that's why I advise keep the wine on or whatever the alarm is that the, the, the uh, flash will make so that you can know that it's ready to go. All right. With all of that said now, I th- and I do think that's really important kind of background information, something that should take some frustration out of working with the lighting, you're ready now to finally practice with the camera and the controller and the flash. <laughs> you're ready to put that, uh, that controller into the hot shoe of the camera and you're ready to, to start playing around. This is where the real experimentation is going to start. We, I do recommend, I recommend you, you experiment with those settings we talked about. Experiment with the channel, experiment with the group. Make sure you really, really understand how all of that works as you're going about doing it. But uh, it's, it's, now it's time to, to move on from that. And the experimentation, there's only so much experimentation you can do with the channels and groups. Um, I recommend that your goal as you start going, the initial settings on the cameras, what, kind of the next focus here. What settings should you start out with on your camera? And there's a lot of options here. I'm going to give you some guidance on what I think you should start with. It doesn't mean it's the only way to do this. In fact, it's not the only way to do any of this. The approach that I'm taking is guidance. And uh, if there's another way to learn this that that uh, another teacher has, you know, great. Just whatever you do, 
to learn it is is all that matters. I'm just hoping it, that this will be kind of helpful as a, a way that I wish someone would have given me and, and make sense to me about how to learn how to do this. All right, so camera settings, I'm going to recommend manual mode for sure. Uh, I don't, I don't, I want to take out variables. We talked about that in experimentation. You, you want to control your variables. Well, one of those variables is I do not want the camera making decisions about uh, changing the exposure settings in the middle of things. Then it's going to change the light, right? It's going to affect the effect the flash has on the scene. I don't want my camera making that decision. In fact, I also just sidebar mentioning here. I don't want the flashes if they support the, the, special feature called TTL. If they support that, don't have it on yet. Keep it off because you don't want the flash making decisions yet either. You want to experiment and control the variables and make sure you only change one thing at a time so you can understand exactly what is going on. I personally dislike TTL always (laughs) because I like to be able to make sure I am in control of how it's going to be and I don't want the flash making decisions. I get that there's some situations where TTL could be an advantage I personally don't like it. It's totally fine if you do. Great. If it works for you, if you know how to make it happen with TTL, awesome. It you know The end result is really what's, what everyone should be after. But um, if you're just starting out, especially as you're starting out, don't use the TTL yet. Make the decision about whether you like to use TTL or not later. All right. The same goes with some other features like rear curtain sync and high speed sync and some some really fun stuff to play with and experiment with and you really, really want to get there. But don't do it. It should not be part of the stuff you're doing right at the beginning. Just make it as simple as you can and, and do this, which is why, again, one flash, that's really what I think you should stick to for quite a while, is one flash as you're trying this out. Manual mode then, make sure the camera's not making any kind of decisions and changing stuff on you for the exposure. And then here's what I'd say for, for setting things up. I'd set the shutter speed to 1 one sixtieth of a second. I'd put the aperture at f8 and the ISO at 100, just to start with, just to, to get going. There's nothing too magical about those settings. Um, I talked about, you know, you need to understand the why on a lot of things. The why here, the biggest why is the 1 one sixtieth of a second, and that's because that is a pretty safe setting to be, make sure that your camera is under something called the max sync speed. I don't want to go into a lot of detail here about what that is. I'll have a link in the show notes to another episode where I talk about the max sync speed and some of the other features like rear curtain sync and stuff like that with Levi Sim. So go check that out. It's really, really helpful if you don't, it, it, when you get to that phase, when you're ready to try to explore a, a couple of more advanced options, then go check that out. But for right now, just maybe trust me, there is something called a maxing speed. I, again, don't want to explain, but you got to stay under it when you're with flash. It's a value that you should absolutely look up. So even though you don't need to understand the technical details of what exactly it is just yet, you do need to know what the number is. You need to know what the max sync speed is for your camera. If you Google max sync speed and then the name of your camera, it should come up like pretty easily. If not, you can look in your manual. They don't necessarily all call it max sync speed in the in the manual, but something along those lines, that's why Google might be your, your best bet. It, it does a really good job of being able to figure out what to show you, even though the name might not exactly match. Um, so one one sixtieth of a second is pretty safe. That's why I said to do that. And if you don't know your setting, what the max sync speed is for your camera, then that's a pretty safe one to use. One one sixtieth of a second. 
uh, F8 and ISO 100. Well, ISO, I think, is pretty obvious. You want to try to, you know, keep ISO 100 if at all possible. Though with flash photography, I am very willing to go up to 200, 400, 800 in, in those areas in order to uh, make it so I don't have to shoot with the flashes powered up as much. Not going to get into any more detail on that, but, you know, 100 is a pretty, pretty good one to set it to, especially because... As we are starting off with taking our first images of flash, and we're going to go experiment to see what positioning and power and zoom and modifiers, what all of that does to the light, I want to try to take out the ambient light in the room. Hopefully you're doing this in a room. You can, of course, experiment outside, but it's going to be a little harder I really recommend you you start this off inside, indoors with your flash. That's really probably where you're going to use them most of the time anyway. But because you have better control over the ambient light, and that doesn't mean you need to shoot in the dark. It doesn't mean you have to have the light bulbs in the room turned off. It means that you need to control the amount of ambient light that is in there by uh, taking a, a photo without the flashes being turned on and getting a mostly dark frame. And there are two pearls of wisdom that I want you to come away from this episode having ingrained in your head. If you don't remember anything else from this episode, there's two pearls of wisdom I want you to take away. And this is the first one. So really train on this. I get this, embed this in your brain, whatever it takes to make it so that you can really, really remember this. Shutter speed does not affect the light from your flash. Okay? I, I've been trying, I've been racking my brain on how can I come up with a way for photographers to remember that. And if, if anyone has suggestions out there, I would love to know if you've come up with like a little story or some, some method for remembering this. I've uh, done, done it long enough now, I just kind of know it. I, I know the technical reasons behind why it is that this is true, and that helps me to remember. But um, I don't want to go into that here, so you just need to remember, shutter speed does not affect the light from your flash. And I know it's going to be tough to believe that because you're used to doing that with your camera. You're used to controlling exposure with shutter. Uh, but it, it's absolutely true. It doesn't really affect the light from your flash. If you want to control the ambient light, that's the light that's coming from the light bulbs in the room or the light that's coming in from natural sources like a window, then shutter is the way to control those independent. It won't affect the light from your flashes. I recommend as you're doing this then in a room, if you can lower the ambient lighting, like at least the natural lighting, cover windows with like blinds or shades or whatever you've got there, that might be a good thing because your objective when you get started, I think you should start with, I need to be able to take a picture and have the resulting image be mostly black. It doesn't have to be pitch black. It doesn't have to be like, you know, no, like if you look at the histogram, there's nothing on the right. It doesn't have to be that dark, but it needs to be mostly black. And here's why. It's because we're trying to experiment to see what things do when you change things, what happens to the light. Well, if you've got ambient light that's in there, you can't be quite certain that the effect is only because of your flash. If the sun, like a cloud moved over the sun outside and it changed the natural light that's coming into the room, 
that could affect how things look uh, or vice versa, like the cloud left and now it's, uh, you know, more intense, whatever the reason that ambient light could be misleading and make it so that you don't exactly see what the effect is from the flashes. And that's what your goal is when you're experimenting, when you're first starting. So that's how I would recommend doing it. It's not, again, the only way to do it. You for sure can learn how to use the flash without doing this. I just think it's a really powerful way to be able to learn quickly what the light looks like by doing this. So that's why F8. I'm trying to get the aperture up. I'm trying to stop down the light. Now, remember, though, the thing, one of the first pearl of wisdom, shutter speed does not affect the light from your flash. The corollary to that is not the second pearl of wisdom. That's going to come in just a second. But the corollary to that is then the other two do. Aperture does. If you stop down the aperture, it does impact all of the light. The ambient, that natural light, and your flash. It affects all of the light. So if you stop down to F8, what that means, that, that's helping you to like put out, extinguish the rest of the ambient light. And yes, it is extinguishing some of the light from your flash too, but it's uh, your flash hopefully is going to be more powerful bec- and, and when it pops and, uh, and you're going to overpower it. So it's, it's a tough relationship there, something you have to figure out because we really want to run our lights as, on as low power as we can. We, we want, don't want to be at full one over one power when you're running the lights because the batteries are going to go down faster. And it's going to take longer for that light to recycle. We want to do everything we can to decrease that. So as wide open as you can is great, but then now you're letting in more ambient light. And that's, so there's there's a balance to be struck there. And later on, as you do more experimentation, you want to try to balance ambient and flash. This is kind of the, the give and take that you're going to do. Shutter, aperture, and then ISO. Like I said, I, I actually probably start out with ISO 400 all the time when I have flash so that I can uh, have a chance at having my flashes use lower power as I'm using them. Uh, But that's all stuff to play with and experiment with. These are just the settings that I recommend you starting out with. And shutter, 1 60th of a second, F8. And, uh, you know, ISO 100, maybe you could go to 400 just to see what it is. But take a picture without the flashes, with the camera settings there, and take a look at how dark it is. If it's pretty dark... Good. Now start experimenting. Start adding things in there and and see what it is. If it's not dark enough and you have room between 1 60th of a second and and the max shutter speed, my Canon 7D Mark II and my Canon 80D both have a max sync speed of uh, 1 to 50th of a second. So I would increase the shutter speed first. That would be the first option. If you know you can, if you have some room between 1 60th of a second and the max sync speed, then increase the shutter speed first. And uh, and that's going to cut out ambient light without impacting your flashes, which is really cool. If you don't have room there, then you could stop down the aperture some more. Just remember that means you have to turn you're going to have to turn your flash power up to compensate. And you're going to arrive and needing to put those flashes at full power pretty quick. So um, then that's limiting your options for experimenting. You, you're, you're not going to be able to change the power settings because you're already having the power all the way up just to make it so that the camera sees it. And that's not a good place to be for experimenting. So you need to find a balance. It's good to experiment just to find the balance too. But really your objective should be I need it dark enough so that when I have the flash pop, 
I can see what the impact is or I see what the light is doing from my flash. I can tell what it is. And then you're set up to do some really good experimentation and being able to uh, to try all kinds of things. And that's the last part of this. And, and the last part of this will have my second pearl of wisdom. But you're ready to experiment with positioning, power, zoom, and modifiers. Now you're ready to start using all of those things, figure out what all of those things do. I seriously recommend that you do it with just one light. Start out with one light on a stand, um, no modifiers, set it to lowest power setting, take a shot and see what the light looks like. If you can't really see it yet, turn up the power setting, but only that, take another shot, see what happened. Maybe get it, if it's still barely visible, you can see it a little bit, but you want to see it a little more, take it up another power setting and see, see, and now you're learning how the power settings are changing. Then you can leave the power alone and move the light closer to the subject or move the light further from the subject, but only do it one thing at a time and observe the light. What changed? How does it look now? What's different about it? And if you can't tell, then move it further. Uh, then try putting a modifier, but don't change the, the position or the power of the light just to put on the modifier and observe what happened. And uh, so you can see what the effect is of having that modifier on the light. All of this stuff is, is going to be continual experimentation and learning and making it so you can do it. And don't, the reason I say only one light is it's even, it's hard to figure out what the light is looking like from two at a time. Like, is this light, is the lighting I'm seeing on the subject, on the model, because of the light on the right-hand side or the light on the left-hand side? Is the combination of the two of them. So I want you to, I, I encourage you to experiment a lot with just one light, like hours, a couple hours of experimentation. There are so many photographers out there that only use one light and do, they produce stunning, stunning images. You can really produce some good results. Why did I recommend three then? Gives you flexibility, gives you the ability to add more if and when you need it, as you learn how to use the lights more and more, it just gives you more flexibility. They're not super expensive. It's nice to have that flexibility, but learn to use one light first. Feel like, Go with that until you really feel like you understand it, and then add a second light. Now, of course, this is all up to you. I mean, you don't have to follow this guidance fully. If, if you're like, you know, forget that. <laughs> Jeff, he's a wimp. He doesn't think he could do more than one light at once. And you want to go for it from the beginning and you're going to do two lights? Fine, do it. Just, you know, as long as you're experimenting and trying it out and, and learning how to do it, I just think it's easier to learn. And I did it for a long time with just one light, partially because I, I only bought one at first. So I, I really, really think that that's good. All right, so as you're doing this, as you're experimenting with all this stuff, here's the other pearl of wisdom that I want you to remember. And so again, just really train in on this as, as I say this and what it is, I want you to really come away with this as the second thing that you should learn from this episode. And that is that light is more pleasing and softer, the larger and closer you can get it to your model. I have, I heard this advice several times. I heard it a lot. It did not make sense to me. As I was first experimenting with things, it felt like as I was experimenting, 
that it was wrong. I was like, no, that is not what I'm seeing. If I put my light really close to the model, it looks hideous. It looks really, really bad. And that's true if you take a really small light, like the light that's on a naked flash with no modifier. If you take that uh, non-modified flash and you stick it right near a model, it's going to look horrid. It is not going to look good. It's close, but it's not bigger. It's not larger. So making that light source as big as you can and as close as you can is the secret for pleasing and soft light. It it doesn't sound right, I know, but experiment with it and go see. A, a way you can kind of experiment with this and understand it is, especially if you don't have a modifier at first, use bounce it off a wall. Now, there could be other problems like color casts, like the wall might not be perfectly white and you might have some some color that ends up on the model. It might be kind of cool to play with that too. But, it, you know, get the use the flash, bounce the flash off of a wall towards your model and see how that light goes and see how when you change power levels, how that goes. See what happens when you position the model closer to the wall that's being that where the light's being bounced from and further from the wall where the light's being bounced from so you can kind of see what that does there's lots of possibilities and lots of things you can do to be able to experiment with it but the the pearl of wisdom light is more pleasing and softer the larger and closer that you can get it to your model and that's something to remember now once once you have this once you're to this point once you are uh, you know, you have camera settings set up so it's mostly dark and you, you're able to play around with where the light is placed, what power it's at, what modifiers are being used, and what zoom level. I didn't talk about zoom level, but go play with it. Just go go play around with what the zoom level does. Then um, then you're ready to, to just like experiment like crazy. Try all kinds of things to see what it does and how it happens. Just using that pearl of wisdom, it, the bigger and the larger and closer you can get it to the model, the better. That's that's what you're striving for. All right, that's it. That's it for this episode. That's how I answered that question. I hope it's helpful, Tanya. I hope that was something that helps you and and gives you some inspiration and, and you get out there and, and try and experiment and, and learn how to use this uh, for, for your flash photography. I'm going to remind you that masterphotographypodcast.com is the home for the show. So the show notes, a lot of what I just, almost everything that I just talked about is there nearly word for word in the show notes. So you can go and review those. You can join our Facebook group. That's Master Photography Podcast. You can search for it or there's a link in the show notes. You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com or check out my other uh, uh, podcast, easy for me to say. That's Photo Taco Podcast, and that you can find at phototacopodcast.com. Uh, all kinds of technical topics that are covered there. The one coming up is uh, is going to be with my friend Don Komarechka, and we talk about water droplet photography, and it's really fascinating. I, I want to try this out. So talk about experimentation. This is something you can experiment with. Really, really exciting stuff. I'll have uh, links to my Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook there too in the show notes. I'd love to have you go check that out. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you again in another seven days.